You're listening to Security Squad, Database Security and Gartner's IT Security Summit for June 8th, 2007. Look at Google Desktop, for example. I mean, how how much has that been slammed in, in terms of security? It's just a colossally bad idea. It's hard to take their efforts in security very seriously right now. Um, is it part of a bigger strategy, this this acquisition, some of the other moves you're making? Probably, but it's, it's just way too early right now. With, with PCI, maybe at the board level or the CEO level, say, well, let's just encrypt everything. Mm-hmm. Well, as any analyst and anybody who's worked on any of these projects or a company that's been through it will tell you, this is no easy matter. Ultimately, aren't we talking about just how ineffective traditional network security is in this regard? Yeah, a- absolutely. And again, that, that's not to neglect network security. No. But it's the understanding that, that things have changed. You've, you've got a much more mobile workforce now. They can bring data in massive quantities in and out of the organization um, with, without going out through the network. Um, it's just thing, things have changed a lot. Welcome to Security Squad. I'm Rob Westervelt. With me is Information Security Magazine's Neil Reuter and Mike Mimoso. In this edition, we'll hear from Search Security's Bill Brenner, who is calling from the Gartner IT Security Summit in Washington. Bill will give us a sense of the themes that emerged over the last week at the summit. Then, Neil, Mike, and I will talk about database security and more specifically database encryption in the wake of the TJX data breach and the PCI data security standards. We'll also talk about Google's entry into the security market. Finally, we'll discuss the month of flaw websites. Are they helpful or just shameless publicity for security researchers? That and more on this edition of Security Squad. Um, Neil, you are the senior technology editor of Information Security Magazine. You've been covering technology for how long? Uh, it's uh, going on six years now. I've been uh, I've been working for the magazine uh, first as features editor and now a uh, senior technology editor, which means uh, prim- primarily responsible for covering new products. And you deal with a lot of the uh, vendors that dream into the office here to give their pitches. Uh, a few. Yeah. <laughs> and Mike, you're the the magazine editor of uh, information security. That's right. I've been the editor for just about a year now, and I was senior editor for. Uh, almost a year and a half prior to that. Okay, Mike. Well, before we talk about some subjects here in the office, we have Bill Brenner calling in from the Gartner IT Security Show in Washington. Bill, why don't you give us a sense of what it's like down there? I know from your reporting that Gartner's hyping this Security 3.0. What the heck is Security 3.0? It's not necessarily a new concept. We've been covering for the past couple of years the whole notion that security is becoming increasingly integrated into the uh, products that the big IT infrastructure vendors like Microsoft, Cisco, and IBM uh, are putting out, and how a big part of that trend is all of the acquisitions that Mm -hmm. we're seeing. So security 3.0, in their words, is about the need for security to be more intertwined in not just the, the products that are offered, but also the application development life cycle and also how IT departments and corporations approach how they do their jobs. And as part of this, there's been a lot of speculation this week as to where the next acquisition would be. 
And that question was answered, of course, this morning when IBM announced that it's going to acquire Watchfire. I went around asking people about this. What was their response? Well, the, the general consensus is that this acquisition makes sense for IBM because one thing IBM has not had up to this point is any application security whatsoever. And obviously, that's one of Watchfire's specialties. And it's one of the things that's of interest is that IBM's rational platform group is taking on this acquisition and not the security division. And that's part of it. It's the rational platform is, you know, the tools and applications side of the operation. Mm -hmm. And they need to bake more security into their development process. Especially with web-based software and the fact that IBM's been making, uh, along with other uh, vendors, including SAP and Oracle, has been, have been making a push uh, into web services and service-oriented architectures. That's right. Bill, was there any new techniques that analysts have been hyping? No, uh, not particularly in my opinion. Um, one of the stories that I wrote yesterday was about the convergence of all of these different messaging, you know, IM, blogging, email, how there's all of this convergence. And, and all the data leakage, all the data leakage associated with that. Exactly, how there's all of this potential for uh, companies, for somebody working for a company somewhere to, maybe not maliciously, but foolishly to leak out some proprietary information through one of these venues and how that presents a particular problem. But it, even there, I didn't consider it particularly new. That's something that we've been covering for some time. And so as far as new techniques, no, I think they're talking about a lot of the threats that IT security professionals already know about, but they're talking about those threats through the prism of, you know, the need for security 3.0, the need for this uh, further integration of security into the larger IT infrastructure. Well, great. Well, thanks uh, for dialing in, Bill. Not a problem. Take care, guys. So why don't we start off with something that, uh, Neil, you didn't want to talk about uh, <laughs> before we uh, came on, which is Google's acquisition recently of Green Border. I guess this is primarily in the consumer, consumer space, obviously. And the question is whether Google will really be able to make any impression whatsoever on the security market with this this one acquisition and whether you you really see Google being a more dominant player in the security market in the future. I don't think this is any indication of uh, Google getting into the security market. The acquisition makes some sense uh, from their point of view for, for their use. Um, Green Border uses a sandboxing technique to, uh, to look at uh, executables from, I believe, Outlook and uh, Internet Explorer. So for... Um, for, for web browsers, it makes sense for Google to, uh, to uh, embed this kind of capability um, into their products. Uh, but until I see Google making more acquisitions and demonstrating that they're going to become a player in the security market, I don't think there's any indication of that at all. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I, I mean, this really smacks of just something that they're doing internally. Um, eventually, I've heard some talk about them integrating some of this technology into the Google toolbar that seems to be everybody on everybody's desktop right now you know they, they started a blog they they're really heavy into application security they're securing their own stuff internally I think this is just part of that strategy there have been some discussion over the last 
year or so about Google developing some sort of operating system, Google moving forward with more tools and applications. Is that when Google becomes a more dominant player, at least with, with security? That would probably make sense, but I think we have to wait and see. Yeah. You know, see you know, exactly what they develop and, and what they have to offer. And uh, even then, whether they want to get uh, into the security business on their own, whether that makes any, any sense for them. Now, I'd say now, no. Uh, and when they prove otherwise, then I'll say yes. Yeah, that, that's a colossally difficult proposition for them. Uh, look at Google Desktop, for example. I mean, how, how much has that been slammed in, in terms of security? It's just a colossally bad idea. Um, in terms of how they're, they're storing um, all that data from your desktop and making it accessible. And it's such a huge risk that when you see something like that, it, it's hard to take their efforts in security very seriously right now. Um, is it part of a bigger strategy, this, this acquisition and some of the other moves you're making? Probably, but it's, it's just way too early right now to figure out what they're doing. Mm-hmm. And on an enterprise level, I guess the only area that the enterprises even care about is is Google's uh, search appliance, right? That's the only area that Google's really in in the enterprise space. Well, let's uh, move forward with uh, something that uh, has been in the news of late, and that is these uh, month of projects. There's probably six or seven of these things, everything from the month of Apple bugs to the month of Apple ActiveX bugs. Security researchers put these sites together, and some people think that uh, it may be shameless publicity. On top of that, there have been some hacking, uh, not hacking demonstrations, but hacking contests. And there's been some discussion over whether those are helpful. They're really just shameless publicity. And and really what plays in here is uh, the whole responsible disclosure issue. What do you think of that, Mike? They may be a good idea, but you've got to really consider the motivations behind them. I mean, there are some of these programs, uh, some vendors offer money for vulnerabilities that are found. Um, In the end, they're probably just shameless publicity stunts. You look at who's doing them. If a guy like H.D. Moore, who did the first month of Project, if he talks to you about a vulnerability, you're likely to listen. But some of these other guys... Yeah, they may be talented hackers, guys like LMH and, and Cesar Ceruto and, and some of the other folks who are pulling some of these month of projects. But they don't have the cachet of, a, uh, of an HD Moore. They don't have his, his, the same level of respect and, and background and experience that a guy like that does. You really have to consider why these guys are doing it and, and what's behind it. And in the end, are we more secure for it? Are patches coming out quicker? Are exploits being thwarted quicker? Probably not. These guys are also saying, though, that they're putting together these month of blogs or month of sites because security vendors aren't fast enough and they're not responding enough to security researchers. It's true. I mean, a lot of these guys, uh, Oracle, for example, is, is notorious for sitting on flaws for a long time before they get around to patching them. They have their own set of excuses for them. Microsoft, the same thing. Like I said, in the end, are we getting patches quicker? Probably not. Not as a direct result of these projects, as they call them. Yeah. Neil, do you I, even follow them? Do you even go to the sites and, and check them out? No. No, I, I, I generally don't. And I, I think it's mostly publicity. I mean, on the, on the one hand, anything that calls attention to, um, you know, the issue of vulnerabilities and, and hacking and, and discovering flaws, you know, isn't inherently a, a bad thing. But, but I agree with Mike. It, it's not going to... Um, it, it's not going to shame anybody in, into uh, disclosing more quickly. Vendors are, are going to announce vulnerabilities and, and patches when they are ready and, uh, and, and not a moment, moment sooner. So I, I don't think it's going to change anything, though. 
How responsible in your take have security researchers been in in recent years, Neil? Do you think they've been disclosing vulnerabilities responsibly? Generally, yes, but there's a lot of difference of opinion on there. And there are folks out there, well-intentioned and honorable people, who will say that the, the the most important thing is to make people aware of vulnerabilities out there uh, that puts pressure on on, on vendors and uh, also advises uh, folks about where they where they where they might be vulnerable especially now since the window between vulnerability and exploit is so narrow in in so many cases there's a stronger argument now for immediate disclosure than there was uh, say a few years ago even a year ago mm-hmm. if this truly is a publicity move on behalf of some of these researchers what do they have to gain from it? what do they get Eventually, get a good job it somewhere. Could be, yeah, it could be as simple as a, a, draw, a job tryout somewhere. You yeah. know, here they put this on their resume. Look at these vulnerabilities I found. And then again, from the other end, an employer could ask, "Well, why didn't you responsibly disclose this? Why didn't you go to the vendor first and give them a month or a, a negotiated time to to patch this or to at least look at it before you release these results?" You talk about responsible disclosure. It's a, it's a conversation that can go on for hours. There, there's a right way to do it. I, I think you. You need to go to the vendor. You need to give them a heads up and, and give them a chance to fix it. A company like Microsoft has unending resources to test patches the right way, and that's probably the reason behind a lot of these delays that you know there are so many systems and so many applications that have to be tested against uh, before a patch comes out. Yeah, it's probably not going to make everybody happy. There's a right way to do things, and in the end, the motivation of these guys probably isn't uh, as altruistic as we'd like to think. I'd like to add that you know, n- not all these 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 aren't um, these aren't amateur hackers we're talking about. Uh, th- these guys are, are businessmen in their own, own rights, um, and uh, in in promoting what they're doing, uh, they're also promoting their businesses as mm-hmm. well. And that that goes for mm-hmm. HD Moore, who I have a tremendous respect for, and 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 a lot of these other folks. We know that that. The, the white hats and the gray hats and the black hats are, are all doing this. You know? um, and uh, we know because there are more zero-day exploits um, that they're being found by the bad guys more quickly. Uh, they're not necessarily waiting to reverse engineer patches anymore. Uh, so you know, we, 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 sh- we should assume that this is, that this is going on, and, uh, and it's big business now. You know, it's not just um, you know, garage or you know, mama's basement hackers anymore. Next up is uh, is encryption, database encryption, and data leakage, data security breaches. It all sort of rolls together. The new TJX CEO, Carol Meyerowitz, apologized to investors for the data security breach that resulted in 45.7 million credit and debit cards being stolen. Now, so far, the company dis- disclosed that it spent $25 million uh, dealing with the incident. And a number of class action lawsuits are in the works, and a final number could be closer to a billion dollars, according to some experts. That sort of rolls into the PCI data security standard rules and one area, which is database encryption and encryption in general. Is database encryption really the only answer to securing sensitive data? It's by no means uh, the only answer, and it's it's not a widely adopted answer, um, and it's not likely to be a widely adopted answer in the foreseeable future, um, at least as it applies to data at rest in the database. You're probably seeing more of it, and you will see more of it in, say, laptop encryption and encryption on... uh, 
portable storage devices like USB drives and things like that. The difficulty is when uh, breach disclosure laws started to be developed, starting with California and copied by other states with, with PCI, maybe at the board level or the CEO level say, well, let's just encrypt everything. Mm-hmm. Well, as any analyst and anybody who's worked on any of these projects or a company that's been through it will tell you, this is no easy matter. Um, selecting what data to encrypt and what not to encrypt, managing the the keys for encryption, educating users, determining what the access rights will be. This is very complex stuff, and all these folks will tell you um, this is a two- to three-year project for a mid-, mid or large size, size company and uh, maybe beyond the means of a, of a small company. It also doesn't address uh, the insider. You know, it, if, if, a, if, an, if an outside hacker uh, gets a hold of uh, encrypted information and doesn't get access to the keys, and that's assuming that the keys are managed properly and they can't access the keys, they, then that'll, that can thwart them. So it's, it's useful, uh, but if Neil decides to uh, take 10,000 credit card numbers mm-hmm. that I legitimately have access to, you know, normally I might access five at a time or two at a time, but if I don't have other guards installed and implemented, such as uh, data loss protection at the gateway that would detect things like this going on, you know, I have perfect right for those, and I can sell them to the highest bidder. Mm-hmm. So it doesn't stop the insider threat at, at all. It's no accident that there are very f- few companies that do this. There's uh, Ingrian and Protegrity, maybe a couple of others uh, on the storage encryption side. There's folks like DeCrew and NeoScale and Bormetric. But business isn't booming there, and, and it's not likely to start start booming. And the, the native tools from Oracle and, uh, and Microsoft are, are, are very weak and aren't adequate in themselves. So um, that's a long answer, but the short answer is, uh, is no. Yeah, I went to a PCI DSS conference in New York a month or so ago. It was loaded with corporate attorneys, and they just hyped up encryption as a way to protect yourself from the data security, the breach notification laws. And I guess that goes to show that it really needs to be part of a, a larger security project. You can't just implement encryption and then, you know, get away with uh, not having to notify customers. And Yeah, the, the temptation is, is most of the disclosure laws, again, starting with California's laws, say you have to disclose where there is suspicion of a brief if the data is not encrypted. Um, but even if it's encrypted, if it's still breached, that doesn't protect you. Clearly, I think the bigger picture, too, I mean, Neil, it's probably a question that's better for you. I mean, aren't we talking about basically the overall ineffectiveness of network security, traditional network security, and, and the need to bring security closer to the data, whether it's endpoint security or NAC, NAP, um, encryption, whatever your poison may be? Ultimately, aren't we talking about just how ineffective traditional network security is in this regard? Yeah, a- absolutely. And again, that, that's not to neglect network security. No. But it's the understanding that, that things have changed. You've, you've got a much more mobile workforce now. They can bring data in massive quantities in and out of the organization um, with, without going out through the network. Um, it's just thing, things have changed a lot. And data protection um, is a multi-tiered defense in-depth project. Watching, watching all your your possible egress points, and watching and monitoring user activity, um, it's complex. On the database side, for example, um, the market for database monitoring and auditing um, is is far more robust than uh, than database encryption. Why are database vendors doing more? I know Oracle is very far ahead in database security. Microsoft SQL Server two thousand five is 
um, has has brought security to the forefront. Are database vendors doing enough in terms of data at rest? They're doing more in terms of things like role-based access controls and defining roles. They, 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 they've made advances in those tools. I'm not intimately familiar with Oracle's encryption tools, but from what the folks who, who know this stuff tell me, Oracle is ahead of Microsoft in terms of encryption. But in, in terms of uh, the robustness as, as an enterprise tool for encryption, it's not there. Oracle will charge you an arm and a leg to come in and do an encryption project for you. Um, so you're, you're not gaining anything uh, by, by trying to uh, go, th- go through Oracle and use, use, use the native tools. Plus, most mid to larger organizations have a smorgasbord of different database types. So they'll have DB2, they'll have Oracle, they'll have SQL Server, um, you know, they'll, they'll have DB2 on the mainframe, they'll have DB2 maybe on, 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 uh, on file servers, uh, on, on database servers as well. And then, if, so if you're going to encrypt in that environment, you need these third party tools anyway, uh, because they'll, 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 they'll reach across these different products. So the database vendors really haven't produced any standards to make their their security products interoperable between no it's pretty much all their proprietary platforms. stuff bringing TJX back into it they they actually had encryption in place but a report in the Wall Street Journal uh, talking about the specifics of the uh, security breach said that it was weak Wi-Fi that that was exploited by the attackers right it, it, if if, there, if, there, if there's an entry point. If there's an entry point, if you if you have data being transmitted in in the clear, um, if you have someone who can uh, can uh, you know intercept a weak um, Wi-Fi encryption key, for example, and gain access that way, if they're just using WEP, for example, um, which is easily crackable, you know, how, however it may have occurred, um, there there are other ways in. And and as I said, if, if, if in a case where it's a trusted insider or insiders who are involved in the breach. Or someone who gains access to an insider, you know, either by you know paying them typically or blackmailing them in some way, whatever the case may be, uh, the encryption isn't going to help a whit. What's your feeling, Mike, in terms of companies investing in in this area? Because data security breaches are you know becoming highlighted in the news more often. Right. I mean, nobody wants to become a headline. Obviously, I mean, you know, going back to the TGX thing, whoever got in over that faulty Wi-Fi encryption access point they suddenly became a trusted insider they they were inside the perimeter they were in they had access if they had if they were able to hack their way in through stealing somebody's password once they were in they, i mean that, this is why this whole notion of the insider is so convoluted this the the attacker was inside and like neil said he rendered whatever defenses they had in place moot i mean the, the encryption was was useless at that point and clearly i mean they were poking around for years they stole 45 million uh uh, sensitive records and and basically got away with it for a couple of years until or until but until the the breach was noticed. Well, that ends this edition of Security Squad. You can check out our previous podcasts at our podcast landing page at searchsecurity.com/podcast. And as always, you can get the latest news and information at our news page at searchsecurity.com/news. We'd like to hear from you. If you have something to say, send an email to editor at searchsecurity.com. That's editor at searchsecurity.com. For Bill Brenner, Neil Reuter, and Mike Mimoso, I'm Rob Westervelt. Have a great day.